verse of scripture there, and then we're going over to the book of John, chapter 21. We're going to try again our third attempt to get through a lesson that we began before we left for our last trip to Africa. And um, I didn't get very far in that before the Lord just kind of stepped in and changed our direction. And, and uh, we, we, we talked about something altogether different. And um, I mean, it was part of it. We, we were talking about the Gospels and therefore the word Gospel. And then we got into what the Gospel is. And, and uh, things just kind of progressed. And I believe the Holy Ghost was in it. Then the following Sunday, I tried to pick it up again, and, and I didn't even get through this first passage in Matthew 4, and the Lord again changed our direction, and, and uh, we were dealing with these verses of Scripture, but, but um, we started talking about your obligation. When God heals you, when God does something for you, you've got an obligation. You become his emissary to go and spread the news of what God has done. I hope you've been doing that. I hope you've been doing that. Well, praise God. See, it's easy. It's easy for us to say amen while it's being preached. It's another thing for us to go and put it in practice. We need to put it into practice. We need to, we need to let this city know what's been going on around here. Amen, 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 amen. I know that leading up to my last trip to Africa, we saw a number of miracles take place in this church. Divine healings that God did. And uh, I'm telling you, God's not finished doing all of that. But I will tell you this. I think God is waiting on some of us to do something about it and start telling people what God has done. Well, hallelujah. That was the whole purpose of that lesson. If you were not here or you don't remember it, it's on the website. You can go listen to it. You can download it or we can burn you a CD. Um, Somebody's probably got a cassette player. If you need one, if you're that, some of us have a hard time moving forward with technological progress. And I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the harder it becomes for me. Um, that's right. I was telling someone just the other day, my wife can verify, there was a time I used to build computers. And, and I was kind of the go-to guy. A lot of my friends, uh, other preachers would call me and say, I had my computers having this problem walk me through it and I just sit there and tell them this is what you need to do do this do this and I knew it all somewhere along the way I got slow and technology became faster and I'm telling you I don't even try anymore. it's so far beyond me um, it's uh, I'm amazed these guys now start talking stuff and, and I feel like they're speaking some foreign language or else They've got the gift of tongue, praying for an interpreter. I, I don't know which, praise God, and I don't have a clue what they're talking about. Um, give me an old uh, IBM PC with uh, 256K of RAM and a floppy drive, and I know what I'm doing. And that's a foreign language to many of you today. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, that was way back when, uh, barely past the age of typewriters. And um, so, anyhow, Matthew chapter 4. I know some of you don't know what a typewriter is either. So go to a museum. They have them on display. 
just past the dinosaur sites. That's just right past all of them, right? Um, Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse number 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to at least say praise the Lord. Jesus starts performing miracles that ought to excite us. Verse 24, and his fame went throughout all Syria. They brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments. Those which were possessed with devils. Those which were lunatic. Those that had the palsy. And he healed them. This is, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago before I left for Africa. This is what we talked about. Jesus in verse 23, is in Galilee, but his fame spreads through Syria. And Syria responded. You remember that? You remember me talking about that? Syria responded by bringing the sick people from Syria. And he starts healing them, casting out devils. And um, then verse 25, there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee. That's where he was. People from there started following, and they also came from Decapolis. You remember me talking about that was a 10-city metropolitan area. And uh, there were people that came from that area, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and even on the other side of Jordan, they were coming across the river to come and to hear and to receive. We talked about this. It's how did they know? How did they know in Decapolis? How did they know in Jerusalem? How did they know in Judea? How did they know on the other side of Jordan? How did they know in Syria? Without Facebook and Instagram and telephones and radios. and How did they know? Because people began to talk about it. Hallelujah. That's what God wants us to do. It's what God wants us doing. All of the miracles he's performed. Yes, he cares about you. No, he doesn't want you living in misery. But I'm going to tell you there's a, there's a higher purpose. And that is that you'll get out there and tell somebody that's lost. Because they'll argue with you about the scriptures. They'll debate your theology. But when it comes to your testimony, they have two choices. Believe you or call you a liar. I guess there's a third choice, and that is to say I'm not sure, but I want to find out. Two out of the three choices bring them to the house of God. If they believe you, they're going to come because they want to get it too. If they're not sure, they want to come because they want to see for themselves. Hallelujah. So we need to be out there telling. Let's go now to John chapter 21. <clears throat> John chapter 21. And we'll read two verses of scripture there. Verses 24 and 25. 
John, the author of this book, is speaking now as he is bringing his book to a close. Um, he has written this entire Gospel of John, and now he is bringing it to a close. And it is in the closing remarks, the conclusion of his book, that he says, this is, this is John 21, 24, this is the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. He was there. He saw it. He's not, he's not relaying hearsay. He's not spreading gossip. You know, one of the things that um, one of the accusations people bring who don't want to believe the Word of God is, well, it's just a book. Stories were handed down from generation to generation, and you know how that goes, and it's never right. By the time it gets down there and somebody writes it, it's never right. And so Say what you want to say, but what we have here in the Gospel of John, John is eradicating that argument and saying, look, I was there. This is not something my great-great-great-grandfather started telling everyone else. I've got a first-hand report of the things that I'm telling you. Well, hallelujah. And then verse 25, he said, and there are also many other things, many other things which Jesus did. I can't put them all in my book. There's a lot more to it. Many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Now, you understand, I know you understand, you understand he's not talking about everything Jesus has ever done as God talking about the man Christ Jesus. You understand that according to John's own writing, his first miracle was changing water into wine at the wedding Cana of Galilee, which was after he had chosen his disciples, which was after he had already turned 30 years old. What John is saying is that in three and a half years of his ministry, Jesus performed so many miracles in three and a half years, that if every one of those miracles were written down, the world is not big enough to hold the volumes. In just three and a half years. Well, hallelujah. Does anybody understand that Jesus Christ is the same? No, you don't, you don't believe that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and and forever. Now look, look, look. We have no problem, no problem believing what he did yesterday. And because it really doesn't require much faith, we don't have any problem believing what he'll do somewhere in the future. 
Oh, we're going to have revival. Oh, we're going to see people healed. Oh, we're going to have miracles. Going to, going to, going to. But it's that today part that we struggle with. And that's human nature. That's human nature. Mary and Martha both met Jesus outside the tomb of their dead brother. And, and they said, Lord, if you had been here, we know that yesterday you could have performed a miracle. And then one of the sisters said to him, Lord, I know that my brother shall live again in the last day. I know there's going to be a future resurrection. Have no problem believing what you could have done or what you will do at some unnamed date. But that's why Jesus responded, I am the resurrection. Not I was and not I will be. He's not the I was. He's not the I will be. He's the I am. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, if in three and a half years he could perform so many miracles that the world can't contain the books, he can still do it today. Do you know how many miracles it would require every day to fill that many volumes of books? Do you know how many people had to be healed on a daily basis to reach that kind of volume? Are you hearing me this morning? And I'm telling you, he hasn't changed. His power has not diminished. Well, I'm fighting an old spirit of unbelief this morning. Well... I wish somebody would let their faith rise and understand that even in this service this morning, it doesn't have to be Sunday night. It doesn't have to be Tuesday night. It doesn't have to be Thursday night. It doesn't have to be prayer meeting. It doesn't have to be on an extended fast. But right here on Sunday morning, the Lord can step into this house and perform a miracle for you. Saints, I need you to help me right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God can do it right now. Oh, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. My, 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 my. Hallelujah. Well, according to your faith, so be it unto you. Let me say that again. According to your faith, so be it unto you. If you believe God can heal you right now, God can do it right now. If you believe God can perform a miracle right now, God can do it right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Let's pray. There's healing virtue in this building right now. Jesus Christ. God, we come before you right now. Thankful, Lord, for each and every one that's gathered in this house. And Lord, I know that there are needs that are represented. And God, I know, I know, God, that if we can just let our faith rise, Lord, that you will honor the faith of your people and that you'll do a work in this service. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help us. Help us to surrender ourselves to the will of the Spirit. Help us to tap in to where the Holy Ghost is right now. God, I'm asking you that your will and your purpose could be accomplished in this service. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Let's praise him together, everybody. Let's praise the Lord together. Hallelujah. Come on, let's worship him. Let's worship him. Let's worship him. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. In order to help our guests understand uh, what we're doing here, we have uh, a number of years ago, I began a, uh, quite an endeavor. It was my plan my feeling that I needed to uh, try to instill a deep love for the Word of God in the hearts of the people, uh, even more so than I had done uh, up to that point. And so 
I began to try to do an overview of every book of the Bible, beginning with Genesis, with the goal of spending one week um, per book, or if they were short books, combining two or three and uh, covering them in one week, and thereby finishing the entire Bible in one year's time. Uh, we didn't quite accomplish that. In fact, we spent a couple of years just getting through the Old Testament, and then we came to the book of Matthew and spent a few years just on the book of Matthew. Uh, before I began that study of Matthew, I taught a lesson to this church that I entitled an overview of the Gospels. I felt like it was important that we understand uh, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books that we call the Gospels, because there are so many similarities in the story that they present, I felt like it was important that we understand a little bit about these four books. Uh, it's unlike any other part of the Bible where you've just got four back-to-back -back books telling the exact same story. Now, you get into some of that when you get into Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. There's some repetition there. But not four books that just back-to-back -back tell us the same basic thing. And, and so I felt like it was important that you have some understanding of these four books as a whole before we got into any one of them uh, individually. And so I did that, and that was on January the 8th in 2012. That was four years ago. Uh, as we then began, we got ready this year to start into the book of Mark, I just felt a prompting that I needed to go back and look at that lesson again and perhaps pull a few things out of that lesson that are important before we start into our study of Mark. But as I began to go back and review that lesson, I just felt more and more that what I really needed to do was just reteach the lesson. And uh, I feel like since it's been four years ago, there are people here who weren't a part of the church four years ago. Uh, there are people here who, like me, don't remember much about four years ago. Hallelujah. Uh, it's getting hard to remember four days ago. Um, but but um, I just felt prompted that this is what I needed to do. And so we started, we started the 1st of January. The 1st of January, we began, uh, and, and here we are January 31st, and we still uh, haven't started into Mark. But the 1st of January, we started into this lesson. I had two Sundays before I would leave for Africa. I thought that I would get this lesson done in two Sundays, and I've already told you what happened in those two Sundays. So we really didn't even get much of the lesson done at all. I don't know how many weeks it'll take me to, to finish this overview, but I do feel like it's important. I just don't feel like we can just start into Mark without having some background uh, on the Gospels themselves. Praise God. And so we're going to try. We're going to try. And, and at any point, at any point that Jesus wants to just show up and redirect us again, I promise you I'm not complaining. What he wants to do is far more important than anything that I'm going to say. Oh, praise God. It's never been about me. It's never going to be about me. It's always about him. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
And so, so we're going to do it. We're, we're going to try to look at some things. And, and one of the things that I did cover back on that Sunday in January, one of the things I did cover uh, was that uh, there are indeed four of these books that are called Gospels. The word gospel comes from a Greek word uh, that really means a good message. It's a compound word, and uh, you put those two words together, and, and it is good message, or some people have translated it good news. And that good message is the message of redemption. It's the message that we don't have to stay lost. I'm telling you, every one of us are born in sin. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care if your great, 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 great grandfather was a spiritual man that walked with God and he's handed it down through the family. I'm telling you now, you were born in sin. Every one of us were born with a sinful nature and because of that, we cannot go to heaven unless there is redemption. And that's the good news. There is redemption. There was the shedding of blood. Hallelujah. And that blood came as God himself took on the form of man and came to this earth and suffered and died for us. Well, praise God. Amen. That's the good news and what good news it is. Amen. Now, that, that's about as far as we got because I got to dealing with that good news and the whole message of redemption and the plan of salvation and, and um, the fact that John chapter 3 says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The rule is you cannot enter. But there is an exception to that rule. And that exception is because God provided that plan for you. And that's good news. Now, from there, from there, that's as far as we got. And so let me, let me move on from that point here today. Uh, these first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, contain a compendium of the life of Christ. They, generally speaking, start somewhere around his birth. And uh, although John begins long before his birth. Right? You know that, right? Where does John begin? Yeah. John starts with this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And it's not until verse 14 of that chapter that he starts talking about how things began to unfold. And verse 14, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten, the Father, full of grace and truth. So most of the Gospels begin around the birth of Jesus Christ. John begins long before that happened. And... Um, Anyhow, they start somewhere around his birth, generally speaking. And generally speaking, they end somewhere around his death. They are the life story of Jesus Christ. They focus on his life. They focus on his ministry. They focus on his miracles. They focus on his teaching. And they focus on the sacrifice that he made in order to save us. Amen. Now, when you read these four Gospels, there are some things that are told in all four Gospels, and there are some things that are unique to each book. You understand that's not a contradiction between the books. You know, there are a number of biographies 
of George Washington. They don't all tell the same stories. There are some stories that are included in most of those biographies, but there are other biographies that include stories that some other book may not include. Does that mean it's not true? No. But obviously you can't include every moment of a person's life. Come on, help me here this morning, church. Help me, help me, help me. So, so, when you read these Gospels, you're going to find some things that differ among them, but never, never any contradictions. Amen. Um, and, and, and as I said, there are, there are um, well, the, the first three Gospels, the first three Gospels are called synoptic Gospels, synoptic Gospels, um, because they are alike uh, in their arrangement and their content. They provide a synopsis or a brief summary of the life of Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three Gospels kind of give us a summary of his life. And, and, and John, on the other hand, comes along and his is what we call a thematic Gospel. I know this may not seem important to you, but if we're going to understand it, and I don't want you just to read the Word of God, I want you to understand it. All right? I want you to understand what you're reading. And so John's gospel is a thematic gospel. What does that mean? In other words, John is not interested in telling us this happened on day one, this happened on day two, you know, this is uh, when he's 12 years old, this is when he's 15. John is interested in conveying themes. Certain ideas and concepts that came from the life of Christ. And so John really even, and, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in this, but John, when you read John's gospel, you can't look at what happens in chapter 2 and then go over to chapter uh, 10 and say that necessarily things were much later. You follow me? John's not trying to give a chronological story. Now, in chapter 2, it tells of his first miracle, and John states this was the beginning of miracles, so you do know that did happen in chronological order before other miracles. But I'm just saying that, that as you read through it, you don't expect to sit down and, and, and read this as though this is all progressing in order as it happened. John is trying to give us ideas, tell us of things that happened, group things together into a theme and, and so he's not really providing what we would consider a biography because he's not doing it in chronological order. He is telling us a true story that has a meaning behind it. All right? Are you with me? Amen. So, so you've got these three synoptic gospels and one thematic gospel. And then the question arises, why, why do we need four gospels? Why should we have four different reports? Why, don't, why didn't God just move on one person and let him just tell the whole story? It could have happened that way. Right? 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 I'm trying to get you in practice here. Right? Okay. Hallelujah. So, so 
Why not? Why not just have one? And in fact, I'll tell you, you can go to Bible bookstores. You can go online and search Amazon, different places, and you can find where people have tried repeatedly to put it into one gospel in chronological order. And they've tried to just put one book together that tells the story from beginning to end and puts it all in order, includes the things that are unique in each book, puts them in there, tries to find a place. And I'm telling you that if you really, now some people just accept whatever they read, but if you really study it out, what you're going to really glean from those kinds of books is just how futile it is to try to produce the perfect one book. It just doesn't work that way. They're, they're, it's just not practical. It's not reasonable. Um, trying to get this harmony of the Gospels in strict chronological order is totally impractical. impractical. We, we can't possibly work it out. We don't know. As I said, John tells things others don't tell. And he doesn't let us know when it happened. So for you to try to insert that in a spot, you don't know if that's the right spot. All right? We don't have any idea. And even the other uh, writers of the Gospels many times didn't, didn't stay with a strict chronological order. And so you'll read in one place where one event came after another, and you go to another Gospel, and it seems that it, it came before it. I mean, this is not a contradiction. These men were not attempting to give us full, true, 100% chronological or biography, all right? They had a goal. They had a purpose. They had a job to do, being moved on by the Holy Ghost. But I do believe there is a reason why God chose four different men and had each of them give us the same basic story, all right? Can I present that to you today? I, I, I believe, I believe God had a purpose. I believe God has a purpose in everything he does. I don't think God does anything accidentally. I don't think God does anything by chance. Even in your life, the Bible tells us that the steps of a good man are what? They're what? They're ordered. They're ordered. Well, what about this problem I'm facing right now? Did God order that? Well, if he didn't order the problem, he's ordering your way through it. Sometimes we order our own problems. That's right. I've told people, I've told people, you, you can take on more debt than God's willing to pay off. That's right. You go out here and buy more house than you can afford to pay for and try to drive more car than what you can afford to pay for. Don't go to God crying and asking God to please give you the money to make those payments. God expects you to use that thing on your shoulders. That's right. Now, sometimes we think we've waited out. We make mistakes. There's a difference between a mistake and a willful act of extravagance. I don't want to get off the subject, but anyhow, God, God orders the steps of a good man. And I will tell you, there are some problems God orders. 
You know the story of Jesus walking on the water? Anybody here familiar with that story? Just how familiar are you with that story? How, 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 just how familiar are you with that story? Do you really know all the details? We, we, know, we know he came walking on the water. We know that he went out there and met them. Go, go, this is not in your notes, but go over to Matthew chapter 15. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew chapter 15. And got it? Verse 22. What does that say? No, no, no. Are we in the right place? 15. That's not the one I want. What Bible am I reading? Maybe that's the question. I'm sorry, it's 1422. No wonder. Chapter 14, verse 22. That's what I'm looking for. All right, there we go. Now, now wait. Look, 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 let's let him get this on the wall, too, because I want you to see this. This is Matthew 1422. I want you to see this. I want you to understand. And straightway, Jesus did what? He constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side. Now, 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 now look. He constrained them. Read verse 23. What's the next verse say? When he had sent the multitudes away, he went, all right, now wait. He told them, you get into the boat and go to the other side. I'm going up the mountain to pray. I'm not going with you. You go get in the boat and you go. Now, that word constrained, I don't want you to forget that. That word constrained. Now, verse 24, what does it say? The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Why do you think he had to constrain his disciples to get in the ship? Don't you think that those fishermen that were there, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they're all fishermen. They spent their life on the sea. Don't you think they knew a storm was brewing? Don't you think they could look up and see the clouds? And Jesus said, get in the boat and I'm not going. And he had to constrain them. He had to urge them. He had to push them. He had to... Almost forced them to get in that boat and sent them into the sea by themselves without him. But of course, the story doesn't end there because verse 25 says, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. I'm telling you this Jesus ordered that problem, he ordered it. You hear me? There are some problems in our life that God does order. And I can tell you that when God orders them, there are times we feel like God just walked out on us. Where's he? 
He wants me to go through this storm, but where's God in the midst of this? But I promise you, he may have been up on the mountain praying, but I'm going to tell you this, his eyes were on them, and he knew what was going on. He understood what was going on. Well, hallelujah. And you want to know what the result of all that was? I think it's about verse 33. What does verse 33 say? That they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. I'm going to tell you, they got a revelation in the middle of that storm. They got a revelation in the middle of their storm. Let me tell you something, my friend. If it's not a storm that you brought on yourself, it may be a storm God sent. But if he did, he's wanting to show you something about himself that you've never seen before. He's wanting to open your eyes to some truth that you've never understood. I'm telling you, you just hang on. You keep rowing. All they're doing is fighting for their lives. But don't give up the fight because any minute now, Jesus is going to come walking up to your situation. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. And when Jesus stepped in, something took place. We kind of skipped over that, but, 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 but let's, let's, let's touch it here very quickly. Um, when Jesus stepped in, verse 32. When they were come into the ship. When they were come into the ship. Now, we, we, we kind of skipped over this because Jesus walking by. They thought it was a ghost. They had lost faith that Jesus even knew where they were. And they see somebody out there on the sea, and that's not something you see every day, you know. I mean, it's not often that you, there are footprints on the waves. Uh, and so they said, this must be a ghost. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. I, well, I could preach a while on that too because sometimes, we, sometimes Jesus wants us to learn how to be of good cheer even when we're in bad weather. Even when our situation is bad, we ought to be of good cheer. He said, be not afraid. It's I. And Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, then um, you bid me to come out there and walk with you. Jesus said, come. Just come on. I don't know about that. We criticize Peter because of the rest of the story, but I'm going to tell you, I don't know about you, but if I'm out there and the waves are tossing, I'd just as soon stay in the ship. I mean, I can swim. I can, I can save my life, but not when you're in the middle of a storm. It's a little different story then. Uh, not, so, so go ahead and criticize Peter all you want. But I don't know how many of us would have made the first step. Now he gets out there, he gets his eyes off of Jesus, gets them on the situation, and starts sinking as a result. But he cried out, and the Lord took him by the hand. And then the Bible says, when they were coming to the ship. That's Jesus and Peter who was sinking, but he's not sinking anymore. He now has those planks under his feet again. And when they were coming to the ship, the storm was over. And that's what I'm trying to get across to you this morning. Jesus may order some storms in your life, but when he gets on board, it didn't take him all night to stop the storm. 
He didn't have to let the winds blow out or the clouds blow over. When he stepped in the boat, the sun started shining. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, if you can just get Jesus on board, quit feeling sorry for yourself, quit worrying about it. Quit pacing the floor and biting your fingernails and saying, how are we going to get through this? I'll tell you how you get through it. You invite Jesus into your ship. That's how you get through it. And when Jesus steps on board, he can change it like that. Well, praise God. I've seen him do it. I've watched him do it. And there are so many Biblical examples of him doing it. All right, we're way off the subject here, but I said all that to say, had God wanted to, he could have moved on one man and, and caused him to write one long book and told the whole story. Um, but he didn't do that. But I do want to tell you this. If you really want to know why there are four books, there's, there's a simple answer. There's a short answer as to why. And the problem is it doesn't resolve our human curiosity sufficiently enough. But it is a principle we need to learn. And the short answer as to why there are four is because God wanted there to be four. We do need to learn that. We do need to learn that he is God and he doesn't have to do things in a way that we understand. God doesn't owe us an explanation for everything that goes on. We dealt with this when, well, I'm not making it very far in my notes again today, but I'm, I don't apologize. We, we, we dealt with this when I dealt with the book of Job. You know, people say, don't ever question God. Don't ever question God. Don't, how many times have you heard that? Don't ever question God. Well, I've got news for you. Job did. And God never rebuked him for doing it. God did rebuke Job over some things. But God never rebuked Job for questioning. I'm telling you, there was like, I think, two chapters, three chapters, where five different times Job said, why? And God never rebuked him for it. But I'll tell you this, God never answered the why either. Hallelujah. Because God doesn't owe us an explanation. At some point, we've got to learn to trust that he knows better than we know. Well, I'm trying. I've, I've really been making some steps to do what's right. I've really been trying to get my life all straightened out. And now I've got all these problems. Why, God? God doesn't owe you an answer to that. You just keep trusting. You just keep doing what you know is right. And believe that God is still in control. Even though God never told Job why. God did fix it in the end. Didn't he? Didn't he? In fact, he gave him twice as much as what he started with. But he never said why. And there was a why. There was a reason Job was going through all that he was going through. But God never explained. God explained it to us. You do know why Job went through it, don't you? 
you don't, you should. Hallelujah. The reason why is because the devil, the devil, the devil wanted to throw it in God's face that one of the most faithful men on earth would not serve him if the circumstances changed. That's why it happened. And God wanted to throw it right back in the devil's face that yes, he will. And guess who was right? And I'm going to tell you, there are times that you didn't create the storm and God didn't create the storm. The devil created the storm. But you need to understand, if God allowed the devil to do it, it's because God's got his eyes on you and God's saying to the devil, no, no, they're going to keep serving me. They're going to keep, they're not giving up. No, devil, you're wrong. The Bible said that God is faithful and he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. Before God ever gave the devil permission to hit you like he hit you, God had already sized you up. God already knew you had it in you. God already knew you could withstand the battle. And I'm telling you, God's counting on you to stand firm. We're going to wonder why. We're going to have questions. God doesn't have to answer. But here's what Job said. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. God never told me why. God never explained it. But God doesn't have to explain it. I'm just going to keep on trusting. And I'm going to keep on serving. And I'm going to keep on doing what I know is right. I can go to my grave with questions in my head. That's all right. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe it's wrong to ask God why. I do believe, and Job, again, Job, Job's book teaches us this. What it says about Job, that in all this, Job sinned not, neither charged God foolishly. There's a difference between asking God and charging When we charge God, that's when we say, God, this is not right. God, you're not treating me right. Now you're charging God. God, don't you see what I've done and look at what you're doing to me. In fact, I, just, I was just reading the other day where somebody was writing and they said, I've been a Christian for years and yet all these, all these wicked people are prospering and I'm getting thrown out of my home. And I'm just through with God. I'm going to tell you, that's charging God. And the question kept coming, why is he allowing this? Why is he allowing this? Well, I'm going to tell you, you can ask why all you want, but don't turn around and say, God's not fair. You understand that God may be trying to work something out of you. God may be trying to get something out of you. God may be trying to mold you and shape you. And God may be trying to prove something to the devil. But whatever God's purpose, I may question, but I'm not going to charge him. I'm just going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. Come on. That's what Job was saying, though he slay me. He said, God doesn't have to heal me. God doesn't have to fix this problem. It's tough. You better believe it's tough. Hello? Come on. Tell me about your problems. Tell me about your problems. And then let's talk about a man who lost all of his children 
at the same time. A man who didn't even have the Holy Ghost, didn't even have the Spirit of God living in him. He lost all of his possessions, and that's bad enough. When you go from being wealthy to being in abject poverty, literally in minutes, as the Bible says it, while, while one of his servants was yet speaking, another one showed up with more bad news. And it just got worse and got worse and got worse and got worse until he had nothing left except his children. At least I've got my family. And I've heard people say that I take comfort in the fact at least I have my family. Known of people whose houses have burnt down or been destroyed because of a storm or whatever and, and, and they would just gather their children close and say at least I've still got my family. At least I've still got my family. Come through a tragic wreck and their car is total, but they're just hugging their kids up and at least I've got my family. But you understand that when Job's trial was in full swing, he not only lost his possessions, he lost every one of his children at the same time. Now tell me how bad your problem is. I just don't know if I can make it. I just don't know if I can make it. How did Job make it? Job didn't even have what you've got. That's right. The Bible says the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Those Old Testament saints didn't even have the Holy Ghost. And yet they hung on to their faith in God. They maintained their integrity and they served God. It didn't matter what happened to them. I'm preaching to somebody in this house today. I'm not trying to belittle your problems. I'm not trying to make light of your situation. I'm just trying to get you to lift your head and understand, yes, you can make it. Yes, you can make it. If you've got the power of the Holy Ghost residing in you, you've got more than what Job had. You've got more than what David had when David got back to Ziklag and found out his wife, his children were all taken from him and his own men turned against him and wanted to kill him. What did David do? He encouraged himself. Nobody else is going to encourage me. I'm not going to go and cry on somebody's shoulder. I don't have any shoulders to cry on. Everybody that I would normally talk to is against me right now. So I guess I'll just... Throw in the towel. I'll just give up. I'll just walk out on God. No, no. David said, okay, nobody else here to encourage me? Come on, David. Pick your chin up. Come on, David. Square your shoulders back. Come on, David. Dry those tears. God's been too good to you. God's been too good to you. And God's not going to let you down this time either. Come on, David. David had to encourage himself when he didn't have an encourager. And David didn't even have the Holy Ghost to do it. I'm preaching to you this morning. We can make it through whatever life throws at us, whatever the devil throws at us, whatever God allows to come our way. We can make it. Because God's in control. Hallelujah. God is in control. Oh, praise God. That evil, wicked person that's come against you, that's trying to destroy you, listen to me. He doesn't get the last say. 
God may let him have his say for a while, but he didn't get the last say. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Bishop Howard. Um, I've told several people, I will never, I will never even try to get in to a contest with him of, of, uh, of uh, you know, just having fun and making little jabs. I, I don't, when he starts, he won. I just wave the white flag. It's done. I've seen people try it, and they can be brilliant people, and they can be smart, and they can be quick-witted. And, and it's almost like the cat and mouse situation where he just toys with them for a while. He lets them make their few little points and lets them say their things. But when he gets ready, he speaks, and it's over. Forget it. It's done. It's settled. You, you're wasting your time to even try at that point. You're not going to top him. So I just don't even try. I just say, yes, sir, and laugh and go on. Praise God. You know, the, the old saying is never, never enter into a battle of wits unarmed. And that's what I feel like. Praise God. But I'm telling you, we've got to have that say. We've got to know that about God. God may let the devil slap you around a little bit. God may let the devil do a few things and say a few things and create some problems and create some situations. But God always gets the last word. And when God speaks, it's over. One song I heard several years ago said, when Jesus says, that's enough, then that's enough. Well, praise God. I wish somebody would get a hold of this this morning. I wish somebody would understand what I'm trying to tell you. God gets the last word. God doesn't owe us an explanation. God doesn't have to give us any reasons. We just trust him. We know, Paul said, we know. We know. Not we think. Oh, we're pretty sure. He said, we know that all things. Is that what he said? Not many things, not most things. All, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He didn't say all things are good. Come on now. He didn't say all things are good. He said they'll work together for good. So let the devil put as much bad as he wants to put. God's still going to make it work good. That's right. Let Joseph's brothers hate him. Let them sell him as a slave. Let, let him get into Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife lie on him. Let him be thrown into the prison. Let him interpret a dream and be forgotten for another 13 years. Man, the devil's piling it on him. But in one moment's time, God took all of that bad and used it and promoted Joseph to the palace. Well, hallelujah. I'm trying to help you this morning. I'm trying to help you this morning. I want you to understand that God makes all things work together for God. 
I wish some of you would get the attitude when you start having problems, instead of hanging your head and feeling sorry for yourself and whining and groaning and complaining and marching around and pacing the floor and all these other things, I wish you'd get the attitude where you say, okay, God, I don't know when, I don't know how, but any moment now, somewhere, some way, somehow, you're going to show up and this thing's going to end up being good. If we could get that kind of attitude, I think God might show up a whole lot sooner. And I think the devil wouldn't stay around near as long if we just get the attitude. No, no, no. no God's going to fix this. God is going to fix this. God is going to fix this. Well, praise God. All things work together for I've often said it's kind of like black pepper. I really, I really like black pepper in the food that I eat. I, I, I like the pepper in my food. I, in fact, most times I won't pick up the salt shaker, but I will grab the pepper shaker. That's, I, I, I like some pepper, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't pick up that pepper shaker, take the lid off, and drink it. Because by itself, in large doses, pepper is not good. But when it's used as a seasoning for other things, it becomes good. Are you with me this morning? Here's what I'm telling you. If you count every problem that comes your way as a grain of pepper and say, all right, how much good is God going to have to put on my plate to make this taste right? The worse it gets, the more good that he's got prepared for you. Are you hearing me? Because all things, all things, somebody get this today, all things, all things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Oh, praise God. God's in control. God gets the final say. God is the author and what? 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 Does that mean the one who finishes? Does that mean the one who gets the last word? The one who gets the last action? He's the author and the finisher. I don't care what the devil does. God gets to finish it. Oh, praise God. I wish some of you would get this this morning. I wish some of you would get this this morning. Lord have mercy. My time's almost up and I haven't even, I haven't even scratched the surface yet. But um, I'll tell you what, I think we need to probably close with that. And then next week, Lord willing, I'll come along and give you one suggestion I have as to why there are four. God doesn't owe us an answer. All we've got to know is that he chose for there to be four. But I do think there's a reason behind it. I, I think that there are times when if you study, God provides some answers. He doesn't owe it to us, but he knows our frame. He knows the way we are as, as humans. He created us. He understands us. And I'm going to tell you, there are some times when God does give us answers, and I 
I think he's provided some answers, and we'll talk about that next week, the Lord willing. But right now, suffice it to say, I do have one more scripture that's on your sheet there. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Some of you can quote this verse. If you can't, this is another one to add to your repertoire. I'm looking to see if anybody's writing it down. I don't know how you're going to remember all these verses I tell you you need to memorize if you don't write them down. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How much of the scripture? How much of it? That's well, a small word, but it carries such significance. I'm going to tell you, anytime God uses the word all, See, we, we sometimes use that word, and we're using it generically. We don't literally mean all. You know, it's kind of like, everybody hates me. Oh, really, everybody? Everybody stuck up. Everybody? I mean, don't we do that? We, we, use, those, we use those generalities, and we just include everybody in one broad brush. But I'm going to tell you, when God says all, he means all. Read that again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. Now, inspiration of God, it, it, it it took those words to express in the English what what the Greek tells us in one word, and that is that it is God-breathed. All Scripture was breathed by God. Hallelujah. All Scripture, whether we like it or we don't like it, all Scripture. I got into that training session a couple weeks ago in Africa. They, they started asking me about this situation and that situation. And what about this? And I said, look, 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 stop, stop, stop. I said, it all boils down to this. Here's what the scripture says. Now you deal with it. For every excuse and argument you want to present, you still have to come back to the fact that the Bible says it. So if the Bible says it, it's right. Hallelujah. Whether it makes sense to us or not, whether it agrees with our philosophy or not, whether it agrees with common doctrine or not. If the Bible says it, the Bible's right. That's why Paul said, let God be true. And, and there God uses one of those general terms, but he means it in a very literal sense. Let God be true and every man a liar. God said, I don't care if 100%, 100% of the world, including those that call themselves Christians, I don't care if 100% of them say something different than what the Bible says. The Bible's right. The Bible's right. Hallelujah. The Bible's right. Lord, I've got to quit. I've got to quit. Sister Becca, you better come. You better come. As Brother Westberg used to say, give these people hope. Give them hope. I'm going to, I'm going to quit. I know, I know much of the religious world, including modern Christianity, is trying to find excuses why abortion's allowable in some circumstances. But we got to come back to what the Bible says. And the Bible says, 
the English is thou shalt not kill, but, but the, the Hebrew is thou shalt do no murder. Murder is the taking of an innocent life. And you don't get any more innocent than a child in the womb. So offer me all your excuses. Offer me all your reasons. Offer me all. We still got to get back to what the Bible says. And God's right. People are trying to find excuses why we ought to accept homosexuality now. And why we ought to even let them get into the ministry. And, and, and you know, we can't be judgmental. And, and God made them this way. And, and, and look, throw all the arguments you want to throw. I'm going back to what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created them male and female. That's what the Bible says. God created them male and female. All this stuff is some guy wakes up one day and says, I don't care how I was born genetically. I really identify more with a woman. Well, I want to tell you, sir, your, your answer is not surgery. Your answer is an altar. You don't change your body to fit your mindset. You change your soul to adapt to God's word. Oh, I know that's not popular teaching. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know you probably won't hear that in most of the mega churches. But you're going to hear it around here. Because it's Bible. And, and we, we have no authority to change what the scripture says. So we're going to stand for the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So I said all that to say, if God wanted there to be reform, then he has the right. He gave us what we have, and he gave us four. So whether my idea as to why there are four or not is right really doesn't matter. And you know, I've, I've almost 20 years now that I've been here, I have done my best to always tell you when it's my opinion that's all it is is opinion and we all have opinions and you're not forced to accept my opinion and 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 so what I'm going to give you next week Lord willing is my opinion as to why God chose to put four gospels but that's my opinion that's all it is but it all boils down to this one thing whether I'm right or wrong God said you're going to have four so we got four so let's just accept that, all right? Praise God. Amen. Let's stand this We've got to learn. We've got to learn to simply accept the word of God. Accept the will of God. Accept the plan of God. Even when it's not comfortable. Even when it is not enjoyable. was it 
for Abraham to offer Isaac? You think he enjoyed that? Do you think Abraham was just dancing his way up the side of the mountain? Oh boy, I get to kill my son today. I know some of you may have felt that way sometimes. But I hope you prayed through. Do you think Abraham had a big smile on his face? I'm going to, I'm going to take my son's life today. Oh, it wasn't enjoyable, but it wasn't all of God. you. Mm-hmm. 